thyself in thee. <clears throat> love vast as the ocean, loving kindness as the flood. When the prince of life, my ransom, shed for me his precious blood. <clears throat> opening hymn tonight is the hymn we are never, never weary of the grand old song, Glory to God, Hallelujah. I trust that you're never weary of the grand old story of redemption and let's sing this hymn with all our very best. Standing while we sing, making it the opening hymn in our gospel mission tonight. <clears throat>
final verse again. There will shout redeeming mercy in a glad new song. Aren't you looking forward to heaven? What a joy is in the heart of every child of God that when we pass this old scene of time, it's absent from the body and present with the Lord. And while we sing this verse and chorus, I'm going to ask one of our committee men, Mr. Erwin Holmes, if he'll come and lead us to the throne of grace in prayer, please. Remaining seated for the verse and chorus. Dear God and Heavenly Father, Lord, we thank you for this opportunity we have once again to meet around thy word and to listen to thy gospel. We thank you, Lord, for the ministry of the Reverend Park through this week. We pray, Lord, that you'll be with him as he brings a word to us tonight. We pray too, Lord, for John as he would bring a word in song. We thank you, Lord, for you moving already in these meetings, Lord. We thank you for the good reports we've been hearing. We just pray, Lord, that that will continue. And Lord, we thank, thank you, Lord, that for those of us who are saved, we are going to that palace of a king. Amen. And Lord, we just think of the kingdom of Dalriada, Lord. We just pray, Lord, that the kingdom of Dalriada will become the kingdom of Jesus Christ, Lord, Amen. in this meeting. We just pray, Lord, that you will move amongst this congregation. We pray, Lord, that you'll move amongst the wider community. We pray, Lord, that you'll move amongst Balamone. And Lord, just like in 1859, Lord, that it will spread out to other areas. And Lord, we even remember, Lord, that even way back as far as St. Patrick, Lord, that it was around this area, Lord, that you moved. And we thank you, Lord, for blessings in times past, Lord, but we want blessings uh, from this day forth, Lord. We just pray, Lord, that you'll be with each and every one of us tonight and uh, give us a great time together in fellowship with the Lord. But most of all, Lord, move in the hearts of men and women this day. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you, Erwin, for leading us to the throne of grace in prayer. We'll sing together that lovely hymn, My hope is built on nothing less than Jesus' blood and righteousness. I trust that's what you're able to say tonight. You're not building your hope on a religion. You're not building your hope on a denomination. But you're building your hope alone on the person and work of the Lord Jesus Christ. We'll stand together and we'll sing this lovely hymn, My Hope is Built on Nothing Less. Let's all stand while we sing.
Each night we've had different ones along to minister in song, and there's a particular joy for us tonight to welcome uh, a local. I suppose we're all local in a sense, uh, and John's a local, and we're delighted that John was able to come. Our brother John Porter, we're going to ask him to come now and bring his first messages in song, please. You're welcome, my brother. Good evening, everybody. This may be familiar to you, it may not. Not what my hands have done Can save my guilty soul Not what my toiling flesh has borne Can make my spirit whole not what I feel or do Can give me peace with God Not all my prayers and sighs and tears Can bear my awful load Thy work alone, O Christ Can ease this weight of sin Thy blood alone, O Lamb of God, can give me peace within. Thy love to me, O God, not mine, O Lord, to Thee, can rid me of this dark unrest and set my spirit free. I bless the Christ of God I rest on love divine And with unfaltering lip and heart I call this Savior mine His cross dispels each doubt I bury in His tomb Each thought of unbelief and fear each lingering shade of gloom. I praise the God of grace, I trust his truth and might. He calls me his, I call him mine, my Lord, my joy, my life. My Lord has saved my life And freely pardon gives I love because he first loved me I live because he lives I love because he first loved me I live because he lives just simply a statement of faith. Isn't it wonderful to know that we can live because Christ lives? What a Savior we have. You will know this. There were ninety-nine that safely lay in the shelter of the fold. But one 
was out on the hills away, far off from those gates of gold. Away on the mountain, wild and bare, away from the tender shepherd's care, away from the tender shepherd's care. Lord, thou hast here thy ninety and nine. Are they not enough for thee? But the shepherd made answer, this of mine has wandered away from me. And although the road be rough and steep, I go to the desert to find my sheep. I go to the desert to find my sheep. But none of those ransomed, they ever knew how deep were those waters crawled. Nor how dark was the night the Lord passed through Ere he found his sheep that was lost Yes, out in the desert he heard its cry Oh, sick and helpless and ready to die Sick and helpless and ready to die Lord, whence are those blood drops all the way that mark out that mountain track? They were shed for one who had gone astray ere the shepherd could bring him back. Lord, whence are thy hands so rent and torn? They're pierced tonight. By many a thorn They're pierced tonight By many a thorn Maybe you're that lost sheep tonight Wandered away from the fold Just grown cold But all through those mountains Thundering And up from the rocky steep There arose a glad cry to the gates of heaven Rejoice, I have found my sheep And the angels echoed all around the throne Rejoice, for the Lord, he brings back his own Rejoice, for the Lord brings back his own And the angels echoed all around the throne Rejoice, for the Lord, he brings back his own. Rejoice, for the Lord brings back his own. Amen. Thank you, John, for your ministry and song. We'll be hearing uh, a little later from you how good it is to know the Good Shepherd. 
the great shepherd, the chief shepherd, the one who came to be the one who would redeem his people. What a blessing that was. Lord bless you, my brother. We bid you welcome in the Savior's name to the Monday night. We're in the final week of this gospel campaign. And we bid you welcome in the Savior's name. It's always encouraging to see those who come on a Monday night. Because Monday night can always be sometimes the preacher's nightmare. But we do thank you sincerely for coming. And for those who are joining us as well on Sermon Audio on Facebook and on YouTube, we bid them welcome as well. Meetings continue each night this week uh, with the time of prayer uh, at uh, 7.30 and then the service at 8pm. Do you remember those times of prayer? And even during the day, just continue to pray that God will bless the preaching of his word and that Christ will be exalted and precious souls will come to know him. Now there's a change of venue for one night this week. The mission will be held in our own church in Hebron on Thursday night. And that's because of another function, another event associated with the school. It's going to be held in here, as you can see from the, the backdrop. Uh, Wednesday will be prize day. And so it's a particular uh, large occasion for the school. And so our mission on Thursday night will be in our own church in Hebron. So please do remember that uh, this week. But every other night, tomorrow night, Wednesday night, Friday night, and Sunday, we'll be here in Dalriada. Those who minister to us in song, tomorrow night, Mrs. Lucy Jane Craig will be along to minister in song to us. Wednesday night, the Reverend Fred Greenfield. Thursday night, Mr. Jonathan Logan. And Friday night, Mrs. Joy Boyd. I'm going to sing our theme hymn just before my brother John comes to minister to us in song again. I heard the old, old story how a saviour came from glory, how he gave his life on Calvary. Lovely hymn, Victory in Jesus. We'll stand while we sing, please. <clears throat>
come, Minister Tuzan's song, and then the Reverend Park will come and preach God's word. It's strange that this is held in my old school. This is where Mrs. Creeth tried to teach me how to count and uh, emphasize tried to teach me. This week's song, you know, the Bible talks about numbers and counting. It talks about counting how the hairs of your head are numbered. It talks about numbering your years. In other words, make them count. With that in mind, here's this last time. There's a line that is drawn by rejecting our Lord where the call of His Spirit is lost. And you hurry along with the pleasure mad throng. Have you counted? Have you counted the cost? Have you counted the cost? Lest your soul should be lost Though you gain the whole world for your own Even now it may be That the line you have crossed Have you counted, counted the cost You may barter your hope of eternity's more for a moment of joy at the most For the glitter of sin And the things it will win Have you counted, have you counted the cost? Have you counted the cost If your soul should be lost Though you gain the whole world for your own Even now it may be That the line you have crossed Have you counted? Have you counted the cost? Mm-hmm. While the door of His mercy is open to you ere the depth of his love you exhaust won't you come and be healed won't you whisper I yield and have you counted have you counted the cost have you counted the cost lest your soul should be lost though you gain the whole world for your own even now it may be that the line you have crossed have you counted counted the cost yes even now it may be the 
line you have crossed. Listen. Have you counted? Have you counted the cost? John for ministering a song tonight, bringing us to that very solemn thought and question, have you counted the cost? want to welcome you to the Dalriada School tonight, to this mission. If you're here for the first time, we're encouraged by that. <clears throat> and Monday night, of course, can be a slack night, but uh, you're here. We're glad to see you. Thank you, Mervyn, for leading. Where did Mervyn go? Good to see you, brother. Amen. You know, yesterday, at the end of the service, there was a dear lady who wanted to talk to us about the Lord and about being saved. And we had the joy of pointing her to Christ. And we said to God, be the glory. Will you continue to pray for the mission? We're now into the second week. Pray wherever you are. If you can come half an hour beforehand, come and Join us in the wee classroom, <coughs> and uh, let's pray together for showers of blessing, spiritual blessing. Want to see the Lord at work in our town and district. Want to see sinners brought to Christ, that they might be saved and prepared for heaven. And if you're at home, remember through the day just to lift your heart to the Lord and pray. Pray for the school's ministry. We're getting into schools more than ever. Twelve schools uh, have opened up to us this term. And we were in the other big school this morning. Christina did fairly well. She actually spoke to the senior part at the high school. Tomorrow morning, we're going to Castle Row. That's a first for us as well. And then on Wednesday, there are three schools and more in the the coming days of this week. So really pray that God will bless the ministry among the young. Now, I feel very, very constrained to come back to the same passage as last night. And we want you to turn to Luke 16. (coughs) If you were with us last night, we were speaking on the subject, the great impassable gulf of Luke 16. That great gulf that has been fixed forever. No man can pass from one side to the other throughout the countless ages of eternity. And as I was reading last night, as I was preaching and I went home I was thinking again of this passage, and I believe the Lord really laid it upon my heart, especially towards the end, and I'll give you the subject just in a moment or two, but this is the message for tonight, and this is the message that God has for you, and we pray that God will speak. We're reading together from verse 19, just the same passage of scriptures. Last night, there was a certain rich man, which was clothed in purple and fine linen, and fared sumptuously every day. And there was a certain beggar named Lazarus, which was led at his gate full of sores, and desiring to be fed with the crumbs which fell from the rich man's table. Moreover, the dogs came and licked his sores. And it came to pass that the beggar died and was carried by the angels into Abram's bosom. The rich man also died and was buried, and in hell he Lift up his eyes, being in torments, 
and saith Abraham afar off, and Lazarus in his bosom. And he cried and said, Father Abraham, have mercy on me. And send Lazarus that he may dip the tip of his finger in water and cool my tongue, for I am tormented in this flame. But Abraham said, Son, remember that thou in thy lifetime receivest thy good things, and likewise Lazarus evil things. But now he is comforted, and thou art tormented. And beside all this, between us and you, there is a great gulf fixed, so that they which would pass from hence to you cannot, neither can they pass to us that would come from thence. Then he said, I pray thee, and it's very interesting that that little term, I pray, can be also translated and read, I beg thee. There was a beggar that was alive on the earth at the gates of this man called Lazarus. He was the one that was begging. The rich man knew nothing about begging. But now in eternity he's begging. And he says here, I pray thee, I beg thee, therefore, Father, that thou wouldest send him to my father's house. For I have five brethren, that he may testify unto them, lest they also come into this place of torment. Abraham saith unto him, They have Moses and the prophets, let them hear them. And he said, Nay, Father Abraham, but if one went unto them from the dead, they will repent. And he said unto him, If they hear not Moses and the prophets, neither will they be persuaded, though one rose from the dead. May God bless this word, this very solemn word, to every heart. I don't think in 40 years of gospel preaching at missions that I've ever come back a second time to Luke 16. It's a very important passage of Scripture. But tonight it is God's word for this hour. And so we look to him. We pray now for help and wisdom and grace, passion in our heart, the anointing of the Spirit in this message. Loving Father, we thank you for everything that has gone before, the worship of your people and the singing of the songs, the ministry and song from John, the challenging question, have you counted the cost? And we know that there's not a time that a person thinks seriously about his soul, but he sits down as the scripture tells us and counts cost. And we know that there is a cost, a cost to be a true Christian, a cost to be genuinely saved and on your way to heaven. But we know that the cost is greater to die without the Lord and to go out into eternity where this rich man went at the point of death. Lord, give me wisdom and help and power to bring the message tonight as we often cry in our heart and with our lips, Spirit of the living God, fall afresh on me. Endure me with power. Give me the words to say and help me, Lord, to honor Christ in all that leaves this platform tonight, we ask in Jesus' precious name. Amen. I put a message or a, a, a title on this message and it's simply what you see in the screen there a message from hell. And I want to take for my text just two verses, 27 and 28 of this passage. Then he said, that's the the rich man, I pray thee or I beg thee therefore, Father, 
that thou wouldest send him to my father's house. For I have five brethren, that he may testify unto them, lest they also come into this place of torment. Have you ever wondered if someone from hell could speak to us on earth, what would they say? What communication would they make? What would they tell you and me? And there is one record, only one record of this ever happening. And it's right here in the passage of Scripture that we've read at the end of Luke chapter 16. If we are to learn anything about the future, the eternal destinies of men, there is only one reliable source, and that's God himself. He has revealed to us in his word those facts that pertain to eternity, the future life. He is the only authority on these matters. If I am to learn anything about heaven or hell, these two destinies of all humanity, and there are only two, there's not many destinations, there's only two that the Bible identifies, heaven and hell, then I must learn these things from God. Heaven, the place that is prepared for a prepared people, those who know Christ as their personal Savior, who have their sins pardoned and forgiven, who have been made fit for the kingdom of heaven, the splendor of glory. It's the Father's house, one of the descriptions used by the Savior to describe heaven. It's the better country. It's the celestial city described by the Apostle John in the last two chapters of the Bible, Revelation 21 and 22. It's the New Jerusalem. It's the city which hath foundations, whose builder and maker is God. It is an house not made with hands, eternal in the heavens. And my knowledge of heaven is drawn entirely from God's infallible book, this book that we have in our hands tonight. And praise God, every Christian, saved by the grace of God, is going there. Going by and by, as we sang earlier, to the palace of a king. Glory to God. Hallelujah. To dwell in the celestial light and glory of heaven, in the place of the no mores. I love to study those final chapters of Revelation and just mark the no mores. No more death, no more sickness, no more pain, no more sorrow, no more night, no more curse. All those things that afflict us here upon the earth, gone forever. But then there's hell. Hell, the place of the damned, of lost souls, of those who die in their sins, without a remedy, unforgiven, unpardoned, and unready. Men are cast out into eternal darkness forevermore to endure the eternal punishment of God for sin. And again, there's only one accurate source of knowledge and information about hell, and that is found in the Scriptures of Truth, the Word of the living God. Now, there's many passages of Scripture that I could turn you to to explain what this place is like in all its suffering, in its darkness, in its misery and pain, and its foreverness. But I feel compelled of the Lord to come back 
to Luke chapter 16. These are the words of Christ as he speaks with absolute and divine authority on the subject of a lost eternity. These 13 verses at the end of Luke 16 are most unique. We are given information here that you do not find anywhere else in the Bible. This is the only place that we read about an actual man in the fires of hell, suffering. This is the only place that we read about a conversation that takes place between the two destinies. This is the only place that we read about a man who sees Abraham and Lazarus in a better place and he knows in his heart, I'll never be there. This is the only place that we read about the great gulf that is fixed that we talked about last night. This is the only place that we read about the actual feelings of a lost soul in hell. For he's tormented. That's the testimony of this man in hell. This is the only place that we read about the concern that a lost soul had for his family that were back on the earth. And this is the only place where the actual words of a man are recorded who is there in a lost eternity. And what does he say? What does he talk about? What is the communication that he makes? Well, we know that he cries for mercy. We've read it here. Have mercy on me. We know that he requests for Lazarus to come with water, just that one drop of water to cool his tongue, for he's tormented in the flame. We know that he expresses the the pain and the suffering that he is enduring because he's crying out by reason of that torment. And we know that he begs for Lazarus to be sent on a mission, a mission back to the earth, Lazarus to be raised from the dead and sent back to his family, particularly his five brothers who were still alive. And it's this final plea from the burning lips of a lost soul that I want to ponder tonight with you just for a little time. It's a message from hell. We've asked if lost souls could talk to us and somehow be able to communicate with us. What would they say? And Jesus is telling us about something that they just might communicate if we could hear. Will you put your ear down to the gates of the caverns of the damned and listen tonight from God's precious word, from these words of the Savior, the words of this lost soul. What is he saying? What would your family and your friends say to you? What would every damned soul communicate to those that are still alive on the earth? I think it can be summarized if you read these verses. Don't come to this place of suffering and torment where I am. But I want you to notice some of the detail. As I sat this morning and and meditated upon these couple of verses, there were just three little thoughts that came to me. And the first one, very simply, is this. He wanted a missionary to be sent to warn his brothers. The sad reality is that the rich man, when he lived upon the earth, in his fine mansion, surrounded by his luxurious wealth, showed no concern whatsoever for himself or his brother's eternal well-being. He wanted no gospel then. He wanted no preacher to be sent. 
He wanted no witness, no testimony to be made while he lived in the world. But now he's wanting a missionary to be sent. Send him to my father's house that he may testify unto them. Is it not true that men of the world generally have no thought about their souls or the souls of others while they live in the world? All they care for them all they care for is themselves, their wealth, their advancement, their bank balance, their possessions, their positions, their pleasures, their worldly pursuits. And God is usually shut out of their lives. Isn't that so? The Bible, if they have one, is a discarded book. Some homes don't even have a Bible, but if they do, it's a book that's not read and it's a book that's not opened and it certainly is not studied. Thoughts of prayer are rare. Oh, I know there's some and they say their prayers, maybe a little prayer in the morning, a little prayer at night, but they don't really, really pray and lay hold upon God. The house of God is forsaken. They just don't go there. It's very sad the age in which we're living that the vast majority of people that live in our town do not go to church at all on on Sundays. I would venture to say it's probably as high as 70 or 80% of people do not go out to a place of worship. Serious consideration about their immortal souls is not on their agenda. The afterlife, heaven and hell, the everlasting destiny of souls and eventually their bodies is not in their thoughts. They not only neglect their own eternal well-being, but very sadly they neglect the eternal well-being of their families. I think I'm right in saying that this rich man did nothing to bring his family to salvation and to heaven while he lived with them. He was no witness to them. He was no communicator of the gospel to them. He was no pleader with souls while he lived. Indeed, it's very possible that he actually assisted his family members going down the wrong road in life because of his wealth and prosperity. You know what I mean. Wealthy people that have a lot of money very often it just leads to worldly things, the pleasures of, the, of this life, immoral living, drinking, gambling, lusting, addiction to drugs, and so many other things out there in the world. And so this man may have been the instrument for evil in the hands of the devil to obscure thoughts of God in the minds and the hearts of his brothers. He never told them about God. He never encouraged them to worship. He never persuaded them to read the Bible. He never exhorted them to to seek for spiritual help concerning their souls. He never inspired them to, to live a righteous life. And you might say, you might ask, well, why should he? Was he not a worldly man without thoughts of God? Was he not a carnal man, a selfish man that lived for himself. But I want to tell you tonight that somewhere along the way, 
he had been influenced himself by spiritual things. It seems very evident by what we read here that this man was a Jew, for example, with all the privileges that the Jewish people had. For he calls Abraham, did you know that? Father Abraham, a term that was used by the Hebrew people as they acknowledged the the patriarch as their spiritual leader from generations previously. He that was the friend of God and the father of the faithful. The fact that Abraham tells him that his brothers had Moses and the prophets further indicates the privileges that he and his brothers had enjoyed when they were here upon the earth. Moses and the prophets is not merely a reference to godly men who lived in the past. Rather, it is a clear reference to the word of God. The term referred to is the Old Testament scriptures, what Moses had said, what the prophets had said, what they had written, God's word that was given. The rich man wanted a missionary to be sent to his brothers. However, he had never used the means of grace that God had given with his brothers to keep them on track while they lived, namely the place of worship and the scriptures of truth. Had never done that. Never led them to God's house where they would hear the word and never encouraged them to God's word where they would see their need. I think of the spiritual legacy of our nation and particular, particularly this wee province where we live here in Northern Ireland with all its wealthy, godly background. There are men in hell who did nothing to use the means of grace to lead their families in the right way. And they neglected God's house and they neglected God's word. They failed to lead their brothers and their sisters and their children to Christ. Didn't even send them out to Sunday school. Didn't bring them to worship services. Did not bring them to gospel meetings or missions like this. Yet they had the privileges of the gospel. A spiritual inheritance as we do have in this land of Bibles and churches and preachers and godly parents. However, they neglected their own souls. And worse still, they neglected the salvation of their families. Did little or nothing to train them, guide them in the ways of God. And now from hell, they desire a missionary to be sent. Lord, send someone Get someone to go and tell them the truth of your word. That's how this man feels. He wanted a missionary to be sent to warn his brothers. But notice with me, secondly, he wanted an extraordinary missionary to be sent. The rich man, if the timing refers to the days of Jesus, and we're not sure what period of history it refers to, but if it refers to the days of Jesus... He didn't want Peter, James, or John, or Nathaniel, or Matthew, or some of the other disciples to be sent. He didn't even want Jesus to be sent to his brothers. He made an unusual request. He wanted Lazarus to be raised from the dead and sent as a preacher to his five brothers. Obviously, these men knew Lazarus. Lazarus was the beggar sitting 
are lying, as the case was, at the gate of the rich man. Every day he could be seen there. Every day he was desiring to be fed with the crumbs that fell from the rich man's table. The rich man knew Lazarus. His brothers evidently knew Lazarus. And so there's two things of significance here. Number one, the rich man wanted his brothers to hear the message of warning from the lips of this resurrected man that he may testify unto them. How important it is to hear from the lips of a preacher the truth of God's word. Because you see, the Bible says, faith cometh by hearing and hearing by the word of God. How will you be brought to a saving faith in Christ, a true belief in the Redeemer, by hearing God's word? That's what the Bible tells us. So it's so important to hear. And what was the message these men needed to hear? Well, as far as their dead brother was concerned, in a lost eternity, they needed to hear that there was an afterlife. Maybe they didn't believe in the afterlife. Maybe they thought when they died, that was it. There's no future. There's nothing beyond the grave. You die and you're just put into the grave. And that's the end of you. But they needed to hear there is an afterlife. They also needed to hear that it was not well with this man. This man is in in hell. He's in the place of torments. He's suffering pain. They needed to know that where their brother had gone. And they also needed to hear that they must flee from this wrath to come. They must repent. The rich man talks about them repenting. They must repent of their sin and know the true way of salvation, which is through repentance and faith in Christ. So they needed to hear. But the rich man wanted his brothers to see and to see a most stupendous miracle, a resurrection of a man from the dead. Send Lazarus to my father's house, to my five brothers. If they could just see such a miracle, it would make them think. It would make them sit up and take account. And as far as this man was concerned, it would make them repent and believe the truth. Isn't that what he argues? Father Abraham, verse 30. If one went unto them from the dead, they will repent. Let me just remind you that signs will never convince anyone. If they fail, as as Jesus talks here, to, to listen to the Bible, Moses and the prophets, if they fail to listen to God's holy word that we have in our hands, the greatest miracle will never convince them. And that's what is being taught here as Abraham replies to this man in the last verse. If they hear not Moses and the prophets, neither will they persuade the one rose from the dead. From the depths of hell, there comes this plea. Tell my family the truth. Send someone, and he was thinking about Lazarus, send someone to warn them. Testify to them the word of God. Tell them I'm in hell, suffering, and I'm pleading with them to repent and to believe the gospel. They may even want a miracle to be given, some extraordinary act to be performed, like a resurrection of someone that that they know. If someone could come back from the dead, surely they will believe. You ever hear people say something like that? Show me a miracle. Give me some concrete evidence, some proof, and 
I will believe in your God and I'll believe in your Savior. That's absolute rubbish. If they don't heed the mighty, powerful word of God, this word that is given by God Almighty, backed home to the heart by the ministry of the Holy Spirit, they will not believe should they see the greatest miracle that could ever be seen. It will not lead them to saving faith in Christ. They'll be looking more. Well, show me another miracle. Think of all the miracles that were done on the earth during the days of Christ. All those miracles, all the healing miracles, the casting out of of devils, the stilling of the water, the feeding of the 5,000, the raising of the the dead to, to life again. That happened. There were resurrections. And the vast majority still did not believe and didn't turn. So miracles will never convince. But this man, he wanted an extraordinary missionary to be sent, Lazarus to be raised. Surely that will convince them. Then one final little point. He didn't want his family to go to hell. That's written right across this passage, and particularly in verse 27. I pray thee therefore, Father, that thou wouldest send him to my father's house, for I have five brethren, that they may testify unto them, lest they also come into this place of torment. I cannot say that this will be the thoughts and the reaction of every lost soul that goes to hell. Think of the billions and billions of people that are there right now. I can't say that that's all of them or, or a few of them, whatever the case might be, are thinking the way that this man thought that they would want to get a message back to the earth and, and tell their loved ones not to come. It's possible. It was certainly the desire expressed by this rich man. I'm assuming that he had loved his brothers when he was on the earth as far as as he could love his brothers as a non-converted person because really true love is something that God gives and true love is so love because the greatest love that you can have for anybody is to love them for Christ, to want to see them saved, to bring them to heaven, to make sure that it is well with them in eternity. But as far as this rich man could love his brothers, he did. He cared for them in some measure. And you know, he probably thought or felt a little bit guilty, didn't he? That with his wealth and money, he had caused them to go astray into the things of the world. And now he doesn't want them to come where he is. Some people very glibly and foolishly say, well, if my family are in hell, that's where I want to be. You ever hear anybody say that? I have. Or if my friends are in hell, that's where I want to be. They know not what they say. They have no idea how thoughtless and ill-advised such a statement really is. Because if they knew what hell was like, they would want to flee from that place and escape with every fiber of their being. Dead, lost, loved ones would send a message, an urgent message like this one. Don't be so foolish. Don't come here. Repent of your sin and flee to Christ, the only way to heaven. And so I began by asking the question, if someone in hell could speak to us on earth, what would they say? What communication would they make? What would they tell you? In all likelihood, something like what this rich man is crying now. Oh, you need the Lord. They would certainly tell you that. 
You need a savior. You need to come to him. You need to turn from your sin. You need to flee to Christ, who is the only remedy for your sin. It's very interesting that the name Lazarus is the Latinized word Eliezer that that means God is my helper. And my friends, tonight I want you to know at the end of this service, in the light of eternity, in the light of what Jesus is teaching here, in the light of a lost sinner's hell, God is your only helper. And he's the only one can help you now. He's the only one that can save your soul. The preacher can't do it. Your family can't do it. There's nobody alive on this earth that can do it. That's why Jesus came. And came to the cross of Calvary and poured out his life's blood that our sins might be forgiven. And he's the only way to heaven. There's no other way. And so the Lord alone is your helper tonight. And if you're not saved, you need to seek him. You need to come to him and flee this wrath to come. Will you do that? Will you do it tonight? Let's pray. Heavenly Father, you've you've brought our attention to this very solemn passage of Scripture again, the words of Christ. And these words of the Savior ought to make us sit up and, and think seriously about our destination, where we'll be in the great eternity of God. We know in this life, even the longest liver lives short. If a man should reach a hundred years in this world, it is just a blink when we think of the great eternity of God. And we're going out into that place of everlastingness, where we will live forever and ever and ever and never die. And in one of these two destinations that the Bible speaks of, heaven or hell, heaven for the redeemed of God who were saved by the grace of God, who have been to Jesus for the cleansing power and are washed in the blood of the Lamb, who know their sins forgiven and this night have pardon and peace with God, or hell for those that die without God's mercy and die in their sin and go there forever. Oh, Lord, may we sit up and take stock. May we listen to the Savior. May we come to him. We pray for any in this meeting who know not the Lord, that you will bring them to Christ. Break down the barriers. Break down the prejudices. Break down the sins in their life that that hold them and keep them chained and fettered and away from God. Oh, Lord, we pray that you'll give them a liberty and a freedom to seek Christ. Blessed Spirit, work in our hearts that which is pleasing in your sight. We pray even now for that drawing power of the Spirit that will draw sinners out after the Savior. Hear and answer our prayers for Jesus' sake. Amen and amen. Every night we say to you, we're here. We're not in any rush away to talk to you about the things of God. If that's your desire, your concern in your heart, we can do anything to help you along the right way and point you to Christ. That's what this mission is all about. Come and seek the Lord. We do have a closing hymn. It's a hymn 269. I've wandered far away from God. Wonders are some saying, now I'm coming home. The paths of sin too long I've trod. Lord, I'm coming home. Will you say tonight, coming home, coming home, never more to roam. By thy grace I will be thine. Lord, I'm coming home.
last verse says, I need his cleansing blood, I know, or wash me whiter than the snow. That's what you need tonight, the blood of Christ that cleanses us from all sin. Let's pray. <coughs> Heavenly Father, may there be a coming home to Christ, a coming home to heaven itself. We pray that you'll speak on as this meeting now comes to an end by the still small voice of the Spirit of God. Speak on until men and women and young people make their peace with God and come to know Christ as their Savior and escape the wrath to come. Separate us now with your blessing in Jesus' name. Amen.